Revelation chapter 1. When I say revelation to you, by the way, notice that the biblical book is singular. It is not revelations, it's revelation. It is, there is one revelation. When I say revelation, what do you think? You've read the book? What are, you, what, what are your feelings, thinking, when, you, when I say revelation? Scary? End times? Confusing. Who said that? Back there, yeah. Tim. Confusing. Okay. Let's look at Revelation 1 in the first portion here. Then we're just going to take a little walk. Um, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now I want you to notice a couple things about that piece. Uh, By the way, the word revelation means uncovering. That's a good definition of how this word is used. So think about this. The uncovering or the revealing of Jesus Christ. That, that, that puts a little different twist on it. Because when I say revelation to you, you think charts on a wall, people trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return, when the tribulation is going to happen, the millennials go, millennium is going to happen. Uh, when, not when the millennials are going to happen, but anyway, when the millennium will happen uh, and all that. It, it's, it's like... And, and sometimes we need to step back from it a little bit and say, okay, so what, but what is this? Not to let your ideas of what it is to actually impede what it is. So uh, the revelation, the uncovering, the revealing of Jesus Christ. So do you want to know more about Jesus? Yeah, I do. Uh, I want you to notice a couple of other things here. Um, God gave this revelation to Jesus, and he showed it to John. But then, uh, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Uh, it, is very distinctly, it very distinctly says, read aloud. Uh, and in the early church, one, they would have, uh, the preacher would be the one who read aloud. So, blessed is the preacher who preaches from Revelation. And, and that's not necessarily why I'm doing it. But, I, I, and, and I, I've been fascinated by Revelation a long time. But I, I'd like us to think about it differently than we have. What if this is about something that gives us something to live this coming week? What if Revelation has pieces in it that God wants to speak to us today? So, um, one other phrase here at the beginning, at the very end of this section, it says, for the time is near. And we can kind of laugh and say, well, for 2,000 years the time has been near. And maybe sometimes that inhibits us from really reading it well. When we think, well, it's, they've always said this. I actually have been reading in Revelation and I 
suddenly realize that there is so much here for us. Uh, so I, I want to just take a quick walk and, and cover a few things. So that was one one, the uncovering of Jesus. And then he talks to the seven, uh, to the seven churches. Now turn, follow along with me. Ch- turn to four, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. And John is, uh, has a trance. He's in a dream. And he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. When I read that this week, I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. A door standing open into heaven. When a door is standing open, what does it allow you to see? It allows you to see into or whatever is beyond that door, right? A door standing open. We can see into it. We get a chance to see into it. What's it like? Uh, chapter 7. So, so this is a, the rest of the book is a door standing open to let us see into heaven. Chapter 7, verse 9. So John is still looking into heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, every, all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living, four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these? Okay, another window. Well, wait, who are these? This great multitude. Who are these people? The elder asked John, and John, uh, uh, John said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. He And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Now notice, um, we've kind of all believed that there's no tears in heaven, because we've sung that, but there's tears in heaven. But God is going to wipe them away. I don't know when we get to heaven how this all will be, but this gives us windows in it. So, um, chapter 12. Chapter 12 is about the birth of Jesus. So what does the birth of Jesus have to do in this great cosmic battle? But then chapter uh, 19. I know we're moving through, but I want to give you a glimpse of this. Chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And so it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we've all heard about the marriage supper of the Lamb and, and thought about that. But I, one of the things I thought about was that there's this great multitude It'll be us and many others. 
And as I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking about, okay, so what is this? I, I've been, like I said, I've been reading in Revelation. I, like, what does this have to do with today? Now, I'm a historian, and it's easy for me to look back into history and say, oh, these are good lessons. I, in fact, I talked about that a couple weeks ago, didn't I? These are good lessons for us to learn, and we should tell the stories of how God has worked in the past. We should tell them to our children so they know how God, what God is like. And it also is, is, is healthy for us to look into the future, and that's what Revelation is all about, to look into the future and say, what is the kingdom of God really like? What, is the, what are the people of God really like? What is it really like in the kingdom of God? Now, <clears throat> if you think that I'm going to get up here and tell you that I'm a premillennial, uh, I, pre-trib, whatever, I, I don't even understand that language. I don't know what that is. And I don't think that's the point of Revelation. Now, it, may, it might be healthy for us to look at some of those things in the future and learn what's there. The point that I think that Revelation is from just chapter 1 and particularly chapter 4, looking into that door, is to show us a glimpse of what is going to be in the future. Because when we catch a glimpse of what is going to be in the future, it helps us live better today. Just like looking into the past and learning from that helps us live better. Looking into the future and saying, Oh, so I want to be a part of that. <clears throat> and if I... Uh, now, we're going to end in chapter 21. So if you're following along, turn to chapter 21. And... Uh, I've actually thought about doing this. I, I don't know whether we should sometime or not. I, I wonder how long it would take us to read Revelation aloud. Not just me, but a group of us to read Revelation aloud. In a, in a, everybody gather together. We take an hour or two. I, I probably could do it in an hour or two fairly easily. Uh, read through the book of Revelation um, with no commentary or listen to it like that. But I... Earlier this week, I read this portion, and it, it, it suddenly struck me that uh, this is really, this needs to change my life. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out, from, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am, al I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of living water, from the spring of, wa of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
Then another angel came and spoke to him, and he, he saw, they measured the city, and then at the very end of the chapter, verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for the, its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I was thinking, so I I was thinking, I read that, and I thought, ah, okay, so first of all, that list in, in chapter 7, let's just cover, kind of cover the negative, where he says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. That list is rather uh, uh, powerful because it does cover everything. And, and we, it's easy for us to focus on things like murder, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters. But what about the cowardly? Or the faithless to not have faith. I was thinking about that, and I thought, okay, so so we've we talked we've talked about how in the past God has worked, and we should take lesson from that. How about saying, what will the future be like, and how can if if the future is like this, how can I live my life today, this week, that that models that? Because if you want to get there, if you want to end up in this place, this wonderful place where God is, and you'll, you'll never thirst anymore, and, and, and God will wipe away all your tears. Um, the, the one who conquers, and this is the phrase, chapter 21, verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage. Okay, when do we conquer? When I ask you that question, I'm saying, do we conquer once we get to heaven? When do we conquer to get our heritage? It's actually now. To the one who conquers and lives a con- in a conquering way. To conquer means to overcome. And, and what are we conquering? What are we overcoming? You're allowed to talk here. Sin. Yes. Self. Selfishness. I, I have a, a mile to go in overcoming um, some of the things that have been present in my life for a long time. I, I'm becoming more aware of how some of the things in my life are uh, not only 50 years old, they're hundreds of years old. Because my families have carried those things with them for years. So, so I want to. I, the point of everything in in Revelation is to say that this is how it looks like in the future. The point of it is the only way to get there in the future is if we start now. To get to the end, you have to begin. You begin now. You begin overcoming now. You begin being a conqueror now. All of us would love to live in a world like Eden. By the way, 
This is vestiges of Eden, but it's better. So think about creation. God created the world, and uh, he created everything in it, day and night. There's actually time in this world, and here there is no need for night because there's no time. Night separates from day to make time. But also, <clears throat> the tree of life he put in the garden of Eden. And then when man sinned and broke away from God, they had no longer had access to the tree of life. Here the tree of life is. We get to live forever in this state. And by the way, when I was a kid growing up, I used to think that heavens, I was afraid that heavens would be eternal hymn sings or eternal church services. And I really didn't want to go. Two hours was enough. But the, that's not what it's like. So what, it, what heaven is, is us living our fullest, our richest, the way that God created us. I have no clue what that's going to be like, but it'll be better than what we could ever imagine. But the only way to get there is to start now. And I think the point of revelation is to point God's people back to this idea that, uh, verse 7, 21, 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage. The heritage is a relationship with God. The heritage is to be part of the family of God. To be a part of the great multitude. That's the heritage. And I will be his God, he says, and he will be my son or my child. For almost 2,000 years, Christians, and we don't say it here as much, but the catechisms throughout times have, have asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that from the early church on is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And forever, listen, eternal life does not start when we get to heaven. Eternal life starts when we embrace the way of God. Because then we are going to live forever. And so when I think about this coming week, when I think about my own issues, when I think about the things that I need to address, when I think about the hard things that I need to face this week, when I think about the things that have happened this last week where I've failed, I failed, I need to come back to this idea that if I want to be successful, if I really want to reach the end, I have to live differently now. And differently means we live in repentance. Uh, in our Sunday school uh, lesson this morning, uh, or let me back up and say one thing. I wrote down, if, if this is how the end looks, this is also, in a, in a little way, the middle should look like this as well. We know how the beginning looked. We have record of that. And if we know how the end will look, then the middle should look a little like both of those. So our, our relationships as a church, as a body, our relationships with other Christians, our engagement with the world needs to be flavored by Eden and eternity. It is Eden and eternity that should shape our lives. And by the way, that does not make somebody so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good, which is what people used to say, which always made me mad. Because if, you, if we truly embrace what eternity, what heaven looks like, we actually will live differently in the middle. 
In our Sunday school lesson uh, class this morning, Joe brought up the whole thing about honoring God, and this it fits so well. He, he's, he had four T's. How can I honor God with my time? How can I honor God with my talents? How can I honor God with my temple, my body? And how can I honor God with my ticker, your heart? And if we can take that into this week, and the things that we face this week, I know what I, some of the things I need to face, some of the things I need to address, you do too. Some of you are thinking about them right now. But how can we bring to bear the idea, the question, how can I glorify God and live with Eden and eternity in this situation? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning that you are both the God of history and the God of the future. That you created Eden and you give us the opportunity to live with you in eternity. And we can return, and our job this week is to bring pieces of eternity, pieces of Eden, into our fallen world. And as we go forward, I pray that you would bless us with the strength to change. Help us to think, Lord, each morning about our time, our talents our bodies, and our hearts, and how we can best honor you in that. In the name of Jesus, amen.